Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. We have uh, two more weeks after this of gritty love, so you won't be seeing somebody's hands going like this in the dirt anymore. It's been a great study of thinking about uh, how to bring our faith down to street level. That's the word gritty. Uh, it's oftentimes we're accused of being people that are so heavenly minded, no earthly good. Uh, but uh, we want to be people that our faith comes down to the pavement. So uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, uh, yeah, this Thursday is um, Unite. And I want to encourage you to come out to this. Yeah, those of you that are uh, want to be involved in the community or are involved in the community, if you can imagine five cities, Encinitas, Carlsbad, Oceanside, San Marcos, Vista, uh, uniting in their mayors and uh, educational leaders and business leaders asking the question in North Coastal County, how can we hook arms and make this a better place? What are the low-hanging fruit items that we can all change this community? Not um, Sri Lanka, not different parts of the world, but right here. And uh, so we've actually chosen those items, and uh, we've been meeting. This is our third or fourth Unite, which is held on the National Day of Prayer. So we pray. It's not just a... uh, uh, an event where we disappear with our faith, uh, but we actually come together as Christians because these leaders know that it's formed by Christians who are unashamedly Christians, uh, 70 churches that represent a sizable number of Christians in North Coastal County saying, we want to work with you mayors and business people and education people to make this a better world. And so... Uh, We pray for our leaders there publicly, we hear from them, and they hear from us, and it's it's a great event. Love for you to come, and uh, and if you can't come, just become partners with us. We're kind of leading this, and uh, we'd love for you to help us lead. Uh, Nick Gilmore would be a great contact person, uh, our community impact guy, and uh, so yeah, that's Thursday at the Westin. And uh, then the other thing to have you pray for me on is this great tragedy that happened in Poway. You know, our hearts break when you see it happen in some place like Sri Lanka, but for it to happen right here in San Diego, uh, just a great tragedy. And so uh, we've, we've expressed our condolences and we would like you to also join us this morning in praying for the friends and families uh, that have been the victims of this tragedy. So would you join me in prayer? Father, as we pray for the friends and loved ones in the synagogue in Poway, God, our hearts break for tragedy, uh, for even the thought of religious hate God, we would ask that um, you would comfort those that mourn. You instruct us to mourn with those that mourn. 
And if you would show us, those of us that have friends and loved ones, show us how to reach out in love. And God, we pray for a fresh awakening in our land that is so polarized and everybody's so darn right. God, we pray that you would raise Christians up to be peacemakers, to show a third way to live. So, uh, Father, would you wrap your arms around our precious friends over in Poway and let your grace, the love and grace of Yahweh, be lifted up and shine upon the people of this synagogue and the friends and loved ones, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are in the last part of 1 John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, please feel free to turn there. And as you're flipping open your Bibles, let me remind you about the writing style of John. Paul, who you know, dominates one-third of the, the New Testament, his writing style is much that of an attorney. It's something that we're familiar with, where someone establishes a precept and they come back and they establish the grounding or the reason for that precept and then out of that they build another precept and, and as they build these truths they move on to the next truth the next truth the next truth the next truth and, it, and for those of us that like that it's very rewarding because you don't have someone repeating themselves you say well okay we talked about that but John writes in a different style and for some of you it might be frustrating because he loops like a songwriter. This is the verse, and this is the chorus. This is the second verse, and this is the same chorus. And this is the third verse, and this is the same chorus. This is the bridge, and this is the fourth verse, and this is the same chorus. There is no fourth chorus. The chorus is the chorus, and that's what we love about songs. Once you get the chorus in your mind, you can sing it over and over again. And if you hate the song, once it gets into your mind, you sing it over and over again. You can't, uh, you can't get it out of your mind. Well, that's what a chorus does. And a good songwriter wants to have a lot of hooks. They call them hooks uh, because they embed themselves into your brain and into your rhythm and so forth. Well, John writes as a songwriter. And his primary chorus is love. Over and over again, love, 33 times, he mentions the word agape, which is God's love. And there's no doubt what he wants in you is for love to happen. Now, I'm on John's side because, believe it or not, I think we are less than kindergartners when it comes to love. And you guys are amazing. I, you know, I can't think of a better church to pastor, and you guys are learning about love, and you, I hear about your loving in the community, and I, I love you, and, and seeing you love this world and love each other, but even as great as you are, we have so far to grow in the arena of love. We are good yappers. 
We are good idea people that we learn about the gospel and we think about the gospel as something to yap about. And that's good because, and I, I apologize, I model for that, that for you every week. And so then you go out and imitate me. Carry around a Bible in your hand and yap. And that's good. But oftentimes we fail in the area of love. So how do we get good at love? So John is going to share one final round of the chorus with us. But before we get into the new verses, let me just go back because it's been a while since we've been in 1 John, just a couple of weeks. Let me go back before Palm Sunday and just read to you a few of the verses that we started with in 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7, dear friends, and remember the phrase dear friends is literally agape toy. So even the greeting to you is the, is the word agape. You're the plural of beloved. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone does no, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Can you bring me down just a smidge? Not too much, just a smidge. So John here is saying, let us now love one another. That's the culmination to this song. But he gives us the grounding for it. There's a good reason. Because God is love. Love comes from God. And everyone who's been born of God is now born of love. We talked about that. You have the, your father's eyes now. You have the DNA of God in you because you've encountered God's love. So whoever does not love has not encountered God. It's that simple. So hate has no place in, in Christianity. Never, no, not. Only love. And that's what this whole chapter is about. So let me ask you a question. How, if, how would you know if a dog is a hunting dog? It hunts. <laughs> how would you know if you were in an ice cream parlor? There's ice cream. How would you know if a person is a Christian? They love. You see, not everyone would say that. Some people would say, they prayed the sinner's prayer. They carry a Bible. They attend church. The ultimate acid test if someone has met God who is love is they are now beginning to love. So now he defines true love. This is still by way of review. He says that love is visible, it's tangible. We saw God's love at the cross. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So it's tangible. It's not just a feely, touchy kind of thing where you, the kind of love you see on a movie and say, I'm feeling love, you feel love? Yeah, I feel love. Uh, it's, it's our moment, I think we're falling into love. And neither one has done a lick for each other. No one has expressed love other than, 
I'm feeling Twitterpated. Are you feeling Twitterpated? Well, that's one kind of love, and thank God it, it happens. You know, if, if, I won't go into that. <laughs> there isn't the time. This is love. So if you were ever looking for a definition, it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And how? Tangible, visible. He sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, dear friends, agape toy, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, why would he be writing this? Because some Christians aren't. Love. You don't write an encouragement exhortation to people who are already 100% loving. John is pushing them towards love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, other people see the face of God when we love, right? Other people, St. Francis said, um, preach at all times, but only when necessary, use words. So we are preaching through our life. People are watching us, our neighbors, our friends. They're watching us and they're seeing the face of God through us. Now, there's one word here that I want to draw your attention to and it's going to carry us through the rest of this chapter. It's the word complete. In verse 12, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is a big word for John. It's a key term. Teleao. You may have heard the word telos, which means end, the culmination of something. Well, he is saying this is how love is fulfilled, culminates how it comes to its ultimate purpose and end. When we love someone else, love hits its mark. The whole reason Jesus came and died for us, when he started this love loop, it actually loops around and fulfills its mark, and we love God back when we love each other. It's kind of cool. It's a big idea for John. This idea of completion, this idea of fulfillment. And John usually uses it in the perfect tense. And sorry, just a little bit of grammar and we'll move on. But the perfect tense is a tense that means it's happened in the past at a moment and, it, and that has continuing effect in the present. How cool is that? It's a very cool tense. And so somewhere in the past, you got loved. Whether you think of the day that you accepted Christ and discovered his love for you, or even before that, when he actually died on the cross for your sins, it happened in the past, and now, bam, it's continuing to have effect in your life today. And it continues when you love somebody else the dominoes keep falling and they, in turn, love God back because they saw the love of God in you. Do you get that? Just full circle, looping completely around. And that's what he wants to, us to see. Now, this isn't the first time he uses this term. He used it back in chapter 2, verse 5, 
where we read, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly, there it is again, made complete, teleao, in them. But guess what? Now John uses this term over and over again in chapter 4. It's here in verse 12, his love is made complete in us, teleao. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us, teleao. Verse 18, but perfect love drives out fear, teleos. Verse 19, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, teleao. Now, don't you feel better? (laughs) The whole idea of what John is trying to get us to understand is you and I loving each other is bigger than we thought. We just thought that was just kind of, hey, if I happen to run into you and there's a moment to love you, I will. If I can help you pick something up, if I can be that guy that walks you across, I'll do it. And, but it's just a kind of a random act of kindness. What if we discovered an intentional kindness where we understood the whole point of the gospel was not just to get you saved and your soul into heaven, but the whole point of the gospel was to make you an agent of love, the face of God that now loves other people, and when they see the face of God in you and and God's love, they love God back, and it loops, and the circuit is complete. What if that was the purpose? And John's saying it is. Love hits its mark, reaches its fulfillment when we love one another. Profound. This is a profound songwriter right here. Deep. So think of an electrical circuit. I think this is a great way to illustrate it. Sorry for the brightness. Hello, wake up. So how do we get this light to come on? That would be the fulfillment of the electrical circuit. Well, there's two things we need. One is a power source. In this diagram, it's a, is that a AA battery? And it's a big one, huh? And, and then there's a switch, on, off. If you turn it off, the circuit is broken, right? It's broken. But you flip it on, whoop, the circuit is complete, and the light bulb lights up. When you love someone else, the circuit is complete. How cool is that? God's love at the cross is now continuing through you. They discover that love, and they, in turn, love God back because they saw it in you. Okay, let's get the brightness off of there. Now, I wish that it was all that simple. That you discover the love of God and bam, now you ooze love. You just walk around, everybody goes, wow, they ooze love. It just oozes out of them. You're with them, you just feel the love. Don't you wish it was like that? Yeah, 
But that switch often requires a decision on your part because guess what? Sometimes we meet people that are difficult to love. Anybody? Yeah, the way we like to rewrite scripture is we run into the love of God. Now, we ooze love, and we just, we don't care. We just love everybody. Just, oh, you're awesome. I love weird people. Oh, you're awesome. I love different people. You're awesome. And, but it's not that way. Well, you know, this is not my first rodeo. We run into people where it's difficult to love. Now, what's really painful about that is that we think we're amazing. We're easy to love. Oh, God, if only everyone could be like me. But those guys are difficult to love. So when you run into someone who's difficult to love, we have to decide, are they going to remain difficult to love or am I going to make the decision to love? Love is not just a feeling that oozes, but there's a decision and an action. Love is an action. It's a decision for someone that I am going to love. So it's not a random act of kindness. No, 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 no. I, I'm just not a fan of that bumper sticker. Like, whatever, random act of kindness. How random is that? How about intentional act of love? That we, we decide, I am gonna intentionally love you the way Christ has loved me. So for that, we need power, don't we? You just cannot decide. You need help. And so John reads your mail, and he takes us into a little digression for three verses on the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, this is how we know we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. At first, when I read this, I said, John, would you stick to the subject? We're talking about love, and now you're talking about the Spirit. Why are you digressing? He's not. He's building his case. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. What he's saying is, folks, you can do it. Because God lives in you. This isn't just you on your own. The Spirit of God is inside of you. So you're having this little fellowship going on inside of you. God the Father, God the Son, who love each other and love the Spirit, and they love you, are all inside of you through the Holy Spirit, and they are wanting this love fest to now come out of you and not keep it to yourself, but to now love someone else. The Holy Spirit has enabled you to love. Remember, Paul calls it the fruit or the result of the Spirit is love. So it really is possible. The power of love is right there in you. Here's the funny thing I've noticed, and I've been in this business for quite a while. Whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, and by the way, I'm going to do a short mini-series, four weeks uh, on the Holy Spirit leading up to Pentecost. 
the, the person of the Holy Spirit. But most people, when they hear the, the, about the person, the Holy Spirit, we think of two things. We think of the gifts of the Spirit, or we think of Acts chapter 1, the power to witness by the Holy Spirit, but we rarely think of the Spirit as the power to love. And that's the most important thing about the Holy Spirit. The power to love. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, when you think of the Spirit, you, would, you should think not the power to now walk on water, but the power to walk in the ordinary footsteps of Jesus loving people the way Jesus loved people. It's the Spirit that gives you the power. Christ in you. I met some friends. We were back at a conference this week in uh, Nashville. It'd be a great conference for you to go someday to. Uh, it's called Q. I think you can find it online with Q Ideas, and they tackle all the different social, big social issues of our day from a Christian worldview. And there's all there's 52 TED Talks over 52 hours, and it's just like drinking from the fire hose. Everyone thought we were back in Nashville to go to the NFL draft. <laughs> Part of my job description. <laughs> but uh, no, we were back for this conference. But I ran into some friends of mine. I had not seen them for years. And they were sitting in the lobby with these very elegant uh, uh, sweat clothes. I don't know what else to call you. you know, what do you call them nowadays? Uh, athletic, wear. athletic wear. There you go. We don't sweat. We just wear athletic wear, yes. But, you know, the kind that I, I probably can't afford. You know, and they were both, they were sitting there with matching athletic wear. <laughs> sipping their uh, juice drink for the morning. And, you know, they looked so elegant. I, I walked up and I said, oh my gosh, you guys, good to see you. It's been so long. You look great and I thought to my they look like they lost 20 30 pounds they look like they lost 20 years of age where I'm thinking I'll have whatever you're having <laughs> and and then just between you and me they kind of looked like Todd and Margot from Lampoon's Christmas <laughs> if you know you got to go back and watch that movie and so they're just sitting there you know and I said, you look great. And we, they said, we feel great. <laughs> and I said, so uh, what's going on? I didn't want to say what happened, but <laughs> what's going on? And they said, uh, well, uh, where we live, uh, a boutique gym moved in next door. And I thought, I did not know boutique gyms existed. <laughs> But apparently they do. Boutique, that's the higher end gym. So it moved in next door, and they gave us a deal because we lived next door. We started going into the gym, and here was their line. And we went long enough that the, now the gym is in us. I said, whoa, what a marketing line. The gym is in us. 
And I just said, yes, indeedy, it is in you. (laughs) Well, that's our line, folks. We love moved in next door to me. I discovered the love of Jesus Christ, and now the love is in me, right? (laughs) So now that the love is in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, John now brings it home. Are you ready? Verse 16. So, you could say, therefore, this is... This is the big conclusion. We know and rely on the love God has for us. Succinctly, God is love. If love is not happening in your life, you haven't met God. You need to meet God because God is going to bring you to be a loving person. Whoever lives, whoever lives in love, here's the gym line, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, for the big statement, this is how love is made complete. The circuit is looped, it's closed among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, must, must also love their brother and sister. So this is how love hits its target. This is how it's made complete. Now I want to read to you the word order in the Greek so you get the emphasis. Because in Greek, if you want to emphasize something, you slam it at the front of the sentence uh, so you know, okay, this is the most important thing the writer wants you to know. And the first thing in the sentence is made complete. Made complete is God's love in us. Kind of the way Yoda would talk. Made complete in us is God's love. <laughs> this is the end, the point of God's love. It's come full cycle. Now, this is going to disturb some of you. Okay, you ready to be disturbed? One of the favorite verses that we love to quote is perfect love casts out all fear. And so those of us that struggle with fear, we look back to the cross and we say, that's perfect love. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And I don't want to mess with you. That's great. That's awesome. But I particularly don't think That's the ultimate thing that John is saying here. He is saying over and over again, completed love. He's talking about this circuit of fulfillment. He's not talking about perfection. That's not the word. And it upsets me that the NIV that has been translating it 
complete, 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 now switches on us to use the word perfect. And I'm not alone in this. Other scholars agree with me that they should have stuck to the game because in our culture, perfection means without flaw. Secondary meaning is to be complete or fulfilled. But many people don't think of perfection, and particularly if you struggle with anxiety, you don't think of perfection as being fulfilled. You think of it as perfect. So anytime we read the word perfect in Scripture, we're terrified. So we, we say, well, okay, God was perfect in his love for us, and that drives out fear, but the one who fears is not, we read this line, is not made perfect in love. And so people that go around with phobia say, I have not been made perfect in love. I want to be made perfect in love. How do I get to be perfect in love? The word doesn't mean without flaw. That's not what John is talking about. He's talking about fulfillment, hitting the target, the, the purpose, the goal of love. So when the goal of love is happening in you, that is that God's, you're discovering the love of God for you, it's looping through you, and you are loving other people you have the sense of, yeah, this is what I was made for, and you do not live in fear. The people who live in fear know that their telos, that's the word, their telos, the end, is to one day meet their maker. God. And to meet your maker is punishment. To meet your maker, God, is judgment. How have you lived? How have you loved? How have you? But if you have already met your telos, your purpose in life, which is love, you don't live with fear at all. You already know the maker who loves you, and that completed love casts out all fear. That's my purpose in life. I don't live in fear. And as he closes that, the one who fears is not living in this completion of understanding their purpose to love. Does that make sense? That's what John is saying. He's not breaking into another subject about condemnation and judgment. He's sticking to this idea of completed love. So now he makes this great claim that's so important to our faith. In verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. And I think that there were probably heretics. We talked about those in the beginning of this study, these uh, Gnostic teachers that were teaching these audacious uh, lies. And, and John is actually calling them on it and saying, they're liars if they claim to love God, yet hate. They're teaching you to hate, divide, they have not met the God that I have met. Can't be. Because whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And we must, it says, love 
their brother and sister. Must is in the original. We must. So now, come back to this difficult person to love. What do we do? This is where you might want to run away from the sermon. (laughs) Because I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. What happens, and we all have, you, you run into a person that's just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be tough. They irritate the living daylights out of me. Uh, you know, and this is someone I'm called to love again and again and again and again and again and again. You know, the random acts of kindness, yeah, whatever. They, they go away and you never see them again. But the person in the cubicle next to you, the person that rides the elevator up to the office every day with you, the person that's in the car driving on the way to work, the person that's your next door neighbor that colored their house purple. <laughs> All the little things. It, it's there as a gift for you. Not difficult but decision to love person. But you must. There's no option. Now, there are some people that we don't trust because last time you were with them, your wallet was missing. (laughs) And so you learn to establish healthy boundaries. You put a chain on your wallet whenever you're with them. (laughs) You know, just because I understand that I can't trust you with everything in my life. So the healthy boundaries are there until they earn trust. And, and that's a whole therapy session in and of itself. And just go read a book on boundaries and it will help you. But nevertheless, we don't have the option to stop loving. We do not have that option for people that are different, people that are difficult, and what's the third D? <laughs> Ministers always have three Ds, alliterations. You think of it. <laughs> so where do we go from here? Folks, it's clear. We met love. We're smitten. We got the love virus. And now what do we do? We love. <laughs> That's what we do in season, out of season, and when they see the love of God in us, wow, it takes them back to its origin. God is love. That's the message of John. Jesus said it this way, the master. He says there was a man, a king, who got tired of all the debts, the lists of people that owed him money. So he told his servant, his accountant, See if you can go around and settle all the debts. Tell them they owe me half, whatever. You can just settle them all the accounts so we can just start the year clean. And there was a guy that owed the king 10,000 bags of gold. I love how the NIV translates that because it's really just 10,000 denarii. And, you know, what does a moderner do with denarii? What is that? So it, it, it captures the intent of Jesus. Because we can all picture 10,000 bags of gold. Yeah, 
And so his accountant goes to this guy and says, hey, time to settle up. And the guy says, I, I, I can't. And the, and the accountant says, then you got to go to prison, debtors, uh, jail. And he says, no, no. And he begins to beg and cry and plead and, you know, and, and say pretty please with sugar on it and all the rest. And finally, the accountant says, okay. The king forgives you entirely. No debt. So this guy decides, you know, I should settle up all my accounts too. And so he goes to a friend and he says, hey, you owe me 10 silver coins. You get the vast difference. 10,000 bags of gold, 10 silver coins. And this guy begs and pleads, but the, the servant says, no, 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 no. You owe me, baby. You're going to prison. And he throws his fellow servant into prison for the 10 silvers, pieces of silver. And the king finds out about this. And he's enraged and says, what did I do? Did, you, did I not forgive you of your 10,000 bags of gold? What is this? You're now going to prison till you can pay all of it. Now, Jesus told that story. And what's the story about? It's you. It's me. You have been loved and forgiven of a magnitude that we can't even imagine. Now, I know when you first come to church, like I did at the age of 18, you think, what have I done? I haven't robbed any bank. I haven't pillaged any villages. I, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I fibbed on my algebra test and I did this. And, you know, what have I done? And so we think that the forgiveness of God is minimal. And we kind of have this attitude, we'd never say it in church, if I were God, I would have loved me too. You know, I, I am lovable. But as you go on as a Christian, you begin to discover you ain't so lovable. You, won't, you ain't so wonderful. And look at just the thoughts that go through your head that God sees. God has forgiven you of 10,000 bags of gold. So why can't you and I love this person? The only answer is, because I'm amazing and he's not. And that's a bad answer. That's a real bad answer. So guess what? God's now given, he said, tag your it. Let the love of God come complete circle, fulfilled in you as you love others. So back in Nashville, uh, you know, someone asked me, did I go down to the draft? And I said, absolutely not. If you were there, you'd have known they blocked off Broadway Street, which is the big mega uh, country bar street in Nashville. And they had this huge stage and a small section for the primo expensive seats and tables, and the rest was just all crowds, about 30,000 people packed on the street, and you couldn't even move. And I said, no, I did not go down there. And I don't know how they do that. They just wait there to find out what the next draft pick is. You know, I, I love football. 
But on TV, you see it up close, and on, on the streets of Nashville, far, far away. But there was a first dra- round draft pick that caught my interest that night as I was hearing it in my hotel room. A man named Josh Jacobs, running back for Alabama. Here's his story. Born into abject poverty, his mother leaves when he's young. His dad is this amazing dad Christian who raises all five children but has no educational background and and doesn't know where to find a place to live that's consistent, can't make enough money. to, So he becomes homeless. And he's driving his maroon, old, beaten Chevy Suburban and sleeping in it with five kids. And there's a couple of times where people accost him and he protects his kids because he's packing And that's how Josh Jacobs is raised. (laughs) Then one day, the prince shows up with Cinderella's (laughs) slipper and puts it on Josh Jacobs at the NFL draft, and he's first-round pick. And what what is he making now? A lot. Where is he living He's got room for his dad and his siblings and his relatives to all move in because he's Josh Jacobs. Now, the question for me is, will love be complete in him? We don't know yet. If Josh stops and says, can't blame him, I'm amazing. I should get even more money, I'm so amazing. People should want to see me and write about me because I am that running back. Or if Josh now says, you know, I'm going to give back to the community. I'm going to love. I'm going to work with impoverished kids because that was me. And if he does that, love comes full cycle. And that's your story. You're that kid. That's who you are. And so God invites you to fulfill your vocation. Become the expert on loving people. That's your best song. That's the best you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus That the best image of God was not you just sitting up on your throne, judging the world, creating the world. But the, ad, the best understanding of you is to understand that you give yourself away. And you especially gave yourself through Jesus. And we thank you, God. And now we hear you saying, tag your it. And we want to love you back by loving each other by loving those around us. And we confess to you, Lord, we're not good at this. People in the outside world tend to see us as judgmental people rather than loving. 
preachy people rather than loving, opinionated people rather than loving. And God, I pray that we would learn who you are and that we would learn first to become people of love, especially with decision to love people. This morning while we're praying, while our heads are bowed, this may be the morning that you not only decide to love, but you decide to follow the person who is loved by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, you may have come with a friend or you may be here all alone. You may have made this decision a long, long time ago or maybe never. But this week after Easter, what a great time to decide to live for what you were made for and to give your heart and life to Jesus who loves you and died for you. And so if that's your heart's cry, would you raise your hand where you are? As you raise your hand, just while the rest have their heads bowed and eyes closed, as you raise your hand, just look up at me and you'll see me saying, yeah, God bless you and God bless you. Who else? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you back here as well. Anyone else? This is for your own soul. Yeah, God bless you. You're making a decision for your life to follow love himself. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. And God bless you over here. Thank you. If you raise your hand this morning, there's one more over here. Put it up high so I can see it. Yes, thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. If you raised your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer quietly as I pray it out loud. Lord, come into my life. Thank you for loving me and for showing me visibly your love by sending your son. Lord, I believe that you died for me on the cross. And because of that, I am forgiven. So come into my life now by your spirit. Fill me, wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. For today, I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.